supporting WHYY Penn Medicine, helping to find new cures for cancer. With life-saving clinical trials and advanced surgical techniques, Penn Medicine is offering more hope for patients everywhere. Learn more at pennmedicine.org slash cancer. Penn Medicine, what's next? Our solar system is around four and a half billion years old. So how to explain the discovery of dust in Australia billions of years older than that? For that, let's task Derek Pitts, chief astronomer at the Franklin Institute, on this episode of Sky Talk. Derek, these particles were found in Australia. How'd they get there, and how can they be older than the planet? Well, as it turns out, there's a tremendous amount of material that falls into the Earth's atmosphere from space all the time. There's a lot of space dust and detritus left over from the beginning of our solar system that falls into the Earth's atmosphere. But that's from our solar system. That's from our solar system. That's right, left over from the beginning of our solar system. In this particular instance, we're talking about little tiny grains of stellar dust left over from the existence of a star previous to our star system. That happened to be in our vicinity? Yes, There were stars that existed before ours and in this region of the galaxy as well. And if we look in just the right way, we can find the remnants of that stellar material. And in this particular instance, that material left over from the existence of a previous star was found embedded in a meteorite that fell to the surface of the Earth. So it was just a fortunate discovery. It really was a fortunate discovery because we're talking about material that's really tiny, incredibly microscopic in size. So it's not as if you'd be walking down the street or out through a forest or on a beach and be able to look down and identify, oh, look, there's a a grain of dust left over from a star that previously existed. So this indeed is an incredible find. From our Milky Way. Yes, in our Milky Way galaxy, stars that existed before, once they exploded, the material that they blew out into, the, into this region of the galaxy then became swept up in material that eventually became our solar system, including the meteoroids that fly around in our solar system that eventually become the meteors we see in the night sky as shooting stars or falling stars that then may turn into meteorites once they struck the ground. Embedded in those are these little tiny grains of stellar dust from the previous star. Are they comprised of elements not typically found on Earth? Well, actually, what they're comprised of is something called Neon 21. Uh, and that's the, that's the element that allows us to identify their age. They really are made of silicon carbide. And if you bombard silicon carbide with uh, X-rays, as you would find in space as part of cosmic rays, what it begins to do is to change the silicon carbide into Neon 21. Now, the ratio of Neon 21 you find to the silicon carbide will give you an idea of just how how old the crystals are. So in scientists' examination of these particular crystals, they were able to identify that these are fully 3 billion years older than our solar system, which means they're some 7 billion years old, long before the existence of our star, which is how we figure that they must be from the remnants of a star that previously existed in this portion of our galaxy. By way of review, what type of star is our sun? Our star is a yellowish-white G-class star uh, that would be described as a dwarf. Uh, That's just the way it's classified, although it looks pretty big to us. What's most interesting about our star is that it seems to be rather stable. 
It does have some variability in its energy output, but that energy output is very, very small, and it goes over an 11-year cycle that seems to match our sunspot cycle. Of course, that stability is crucial for sustained life. It certainly is. If we lived in another stellar system where the sun's variability was much greater, it wouldn't be possible for life to exist in this solar system. But our star is an outlier to the extent that most stars travel in pairs or more. And that's another interesting thing about our star. Most of the stars we see in the evening sky are multiples of some type. Either they're paired or they have a number of siblings that they travel along with. One of the cool features we see in the evening star in the winter is the star group known as the Pleiades, part of the constellation Taurus. As we see it, it looks like a group of seven stars, but it really is several hundred stars that all were born out of the same cloud of gas and dust, and they all travel together. Uh, We only see seven, but there are hundreds there. We're unusual because it seems as if we're alone by ourselves. Of course, all stars have lifespans, and apparently tomorrow marks an anniversary when we saw the first supernova. Yes, it was 33 years ago tomorrow that supernova 1987A exploded, in a galaxy known as the Large Magellanic Cloud, about 168,000 light years away from us. The Large Magellanic Cloud, by the way, along with its companion, the Small Magellanic Cloud, are two companion galaxies of our Milky Way. They're not too far away from us. But this particular supernova was first sighted with the naked eye by an astronomer at an observatory in South America. It was confirmed by another astronomer observing in another location on the planet within 24 hours, and sure enough, this was the first supernova that had been seen of this type in hundreds of years. Okay, a refresher again. What's a supernova? For some stars, as they age, their fate is that they will swell to an enormous size, which can no longer be supported by the energy that's pouring out from the core. Once that energy supply from the core stops, the overlying envelope of gases suddenly crushes down onto the core of the star. A great explosion takes place in which that envelope of gas is rebounded or blown back out into space in what's called a supernova. The supernova then renders that star as being the brightest object visible in that galaxy for a brief period of time, in some cases just a few weeks, in other instances a number of months, maybe even a year or more, and that star, outshining all the others, then becomes visible from other locations in space. So the odds aren't great that stepping outside tonight, we're going to see a supernova exploding, but what is available to be seen in the night sky? The expectation for sighting a supernova is probably once every 10,000 years, one might occur and we might see it. Uh, But we shouldn't count on that tonight, even though one of the bright stars in the night sky, Betelgeuse, has been said to be approaching a stage in its life where that could happen within the next 10,000 years. And as we observe Betelgeuse, we've been able to notice that its brightness has been dropping off over the past six months, and some have speculated that perhaps that supernova event for Betelgeuse might be coming soon. Most astronomers think not, so there's still time for you to go out and see it in the evening sky tonight. That's part of the constellation Orion the Hunter. Easy to see in the evening sky at about 9 p.m., high in the south. You can't miss it. It's one of the bright red stars up at the upper shoulder of Orion the Hunter. However, Venus still dominates the southwest evening sky, and it'll be joined by a thin waxing crescent moon on Wednesday this week. 
In the morning, you can still find Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn aligned in the 6 a.m. pre-dawn sky over on the eastern side. They're sliding closer together over the next few weeks, and if you see the three planets in the morning and Venus in the evening, you'll be able to see four planets all in one day. The other object visible in the western sky is the Andromeda Galaxy. Darker skies will allow you to see this with a pair of binoculars about halfway up above the horizon, just to the north of west. It's a faint smudge of softly glowing sky, and be patient when you're looking for it. The farther out you are, the better your chance to see it. And don't forget, if you're trying to figure out directions, your phone has a compass built in. Thanks, Derek. My pleasure, Dave. Derek Pitts, Chief Astronomer at the Franklin Institute. He joins us each week at this time on Sky Talk.